Hey everybody, welcome to Lauren.Live, the spirituality, health, and lifestyle podcast. I've got Jacob Cooper with me. How are you? Hey Lauren, how are you doing? <laughs> Good. Thanks for being on the show. Oh, a big, big honor. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad to be connected. We've been uh, messaging on Instagram for months and here we are finally. So we've got some good stuff to share. Um, Jacob um, is a near-death experience uh, experiencer and we'll be talking a lot about that today. He's also the author of Life After Breath, so we can talk about your book too and um you know, you're a clinical social worker, you've worked with in healing. So there's a lot to talk about, but I'd love for you to really give the intro on yourself, a little bit of background on, you know, who you are, where you came from. And then of course, if you share your near-death experience and then what that's done in your life, how it's changed your life, and then how you're using that to obviously help others too. Yeah. You know, so Born and raised, you know, on the East Coast here in New York, you know, I come from, you know, a family of humanitarians, you know, healers, therapists. So it's in my DNA to understand that um, someone else's pain is a part of our, you know, drive for solutions and just the interconnectedness that was kind of bestowed growing up in my family intergenerationally. But I work, you know, full time as a, a therapist in a psychiatric hospital and have my own private practice, work as a hypnotherapist, do a lot of mindfulness, past life regression therapy. Uh, but really what um, was a big drive of mine in getting the near death book out and kind of getting public was a lot of my work as a therapist, which is, you know, a lot of it is predicated on exposure, the work that I do, which means that instead of maybe, you know, running from something, you approach it head on. And so the topic of death is outside of maybe public speaking or addition to one of the biggest fears that people have. So when it comes to exposing death, it's kind of hard because a lot of people, when they hear my speech, they're like, you know, you can't die. And I guess you can't technically, but I wouldn't recommend self-induced near-death experiences. Uh, but the gradual exposure of at least talking about it uh, through another framework, as well as contemplating what that means, because I do believe when we're able to contemplate it, it could lead people to really look at their life through um, a bigger picture and to have more of a purpose uh, just beyond the mundane you know, day-to-day -day life. So it's a very important topic to process and contemplate uh, for people. Yeah, I agree. I've had a couple of guests touch on the topic too, and I think it's important for us to talk about that because we're all we're all going to be experiencing death one day. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it, I think there is a lot of fear based around that in our culture. So um, would you mind sharing a little bit about your near-death experience and how that I'm assuming has helped you not fear death as much. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I had mine a little bit differently than you see most end years where they're kind of like middle of life. They're having like, you know, their, their life, you know, they're working corporate jobs or media, whatever. Then all of a sudden this thing happens and they're transformed for, you know, me, I was, basically a couple of years after I came on this planet in this body had my near-death experience. Mm. So um, it's a different vantage point than, than others that you see, but it's, it 
doesn't, it, you know, it does happen. You know, there are children and infant near-death experiences. Mm-hmm. But I had mine at the age of three mm-hmm. as a result of whooping cough, others, otherwise known as pertussis, uh, which for infants and children could be quite fatal. Uh, but uh, I went to a park, you know, with whooping cough, not knowing that I had this. Uh, and then I just suffocated as a result of whooping cough when I was going up on a ladder on a slide, you know, in a playground. And uh, you know, after suffocation, I lost you know, all control of my body and all things that made me human. And I was just kind of like in this weird place where it wasn't, you know, comfortable in my body, but I wasn't crossed over. It was just this kind of like incubational period of, of suffering. It was very difficult. I don't want to sugarcoat that, you know, physiological process of suffocation. Uh, but, um, you know, afterwards I was able to let go of my body, let go of my breath and allow myself to, embrace and open myself up to the breath of eternity a new breath and that's really what saved me was just surrendering to the light surrendering uh to the breath that we're all created from um, and we're all forever connected to and you know once i was able to let go and surrender was when everything you know really opened up from awareness of you know spirit guides that i had uh soul family members um karmic ties with this not only this lifetime but other lifetimes that i was able to see and talk about i was able to see endless array of angels and uh, awareness of you know it's 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 a word that we throw out but the word that's commonly known as god and i just say that all that there ever is ever was will be in the vantage point of that uh reality uh but it was it was profound um and i think it uh it just causes people to question how from such a young age you know that could be remembered i'm sure there's a lot of other stuff to get into it right yeah Yeah, i was just gonna ask you do you remember it at age three you remember it pretty clearly yeah you know and i think as a therapist i could certainly speak to trauma Mm -hmm. you know and how that could cause us to remember stuff not only from this lifetime but from other lifetimes Mm -hmm. that we carry over Mm -hmm. you know that could be definitely conscious and as kids we're a lot more open and receptive to, you know, information of higher awareness. Mm-hmm. But I always like kind of state in my speeches on September 11th, remember what we were doing, but 917, 918, what were you doing then? Tell me the right. rundown and you're not going to remember. Mm-hmm. So that and as well as this experience was outside of any processes of my own brain. I mean, literally my brain snapped in half due to deprivation of oxygen. And I felt that. Mm-hmm. And as the saying goes, my brain cracked in half and that's when God and spirit came in. And that happened to me literally. I hope that's not the case for other seekers that you don't need to do that. And that, right. you know, parlays to some of my other work. Uh, but I think this was experience happened in the nonlinear consciousness. And that's really why I believe I'm able to remember. I don't remember much from my childhood other than these transformative experiences and this experiences when I was outside of my own brain uh, and really into my higher mind. Do you remember going to another place or do you just remember like having that experience and that like the suffocation and and all that? And then just once you came to like you began to see angels or do you actually remember like kind of being able to peek into another realm? Yes. In Life After Breath, I highlight this in my book, um, in my talks, but I was for me, it was the see in our bodies were used to kind of like a limit of climax in a way with how euphoric we could feel because we're still neurophysiological beings when you're outside the body when you're in the spirit realm 
there is no limit of euphoria. And that's a very foreign thing. And yeah. so for me, I was going upwards energetically, vibrationally, I could feel that. But also I could just sense that there was no end to how good I was feeling on my ND. There was nothing stopping me, mm-hmm. which is foreign for us because we're used to in order uh, to be, we need to do. Right. Right. We need to do something to, to be something. But uh, in the spirit realm, there's nothing to do but to just be. Mm. And that's that's a very comforting feeling. But I was able to connect to a beautiful, you know, insane palace right to the right side of my head, which represents, you know, the creative side. And I think we really get a lot of higher information by a right hemisphere of our brain. But for me, this palace was a, a depiction of the divine in a way. And it was beyond any colors and sounds that we see it was so far beyond this reality that i almost had to shield myself because it was so potent and powerful um i think when you when i cross over to the other side there was an incubational period where it was such an intense transition you know that i it was familiar but it was also like oh my lord it felt like you were going to a crazy roller coaster and going like a thousand miles an hour upwards and upwards to no end And so to answer your question, the other side is not a place that you could just point at and say, this is it. You know, it's all around us. And so that felt like a million miles away when I was, you know, connected to the other side and the palace of God, so to speak. But then the angelic realm was like right over here. So it's like not on the floor. The angels didn't touch the floor, but they were like right a part of this reality. Mm -hmm. Just a couple of ticks on the dial above this so mm. the angels are all around like us closer. everywhere they were, yeah. yeah easier to access right yeah and it just you know it wasn't something telepathically that i was just experiencing i was literally able to see my own form outside of my body which was irresponsive and i was able to look at them like i'm looking at you no offense you, you know you're angelic yeah. too but i was able to uh, see them literally right in front of me but mm. it was more real than real it was mm. profound and then just a part of me was just, I remember just pinching myself. Like, am I hallucinating? Is this like, what is going on? And, but then moments later, I was able to just remember that, you know, these were beings that I was around, you know, and many times in the other side and this was home. Uh, but wow. uh, it was, it was profound. I was just going to say, say that how profound for you too, at such a young age to be able to remember that and still talk about it to this day. But it, it, I'm trying to figure out how to, put this into words. So it's so hard when we talk about these things to put things into words, right? You know, whenever, whenever you speak to someone who's had a near death, they always say like, there's no words to describe what it felt like, but you know, we try our best to explain it. Yeah. But I think like, I'm trying to describe, I'm trying to think how to explain this. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's almost like it is like a loss for words, but um, I don't know. Maybe it'll come back to me. I had the thought and then I kind of lost it to be honest. It's just, you're three, but it's almost like, oh, I know what I was going to say, like, but your soul was experiencing it and your soul doesn't really have an age, right? Like it's just this eternal right. essence and being, but you know, as humans, we, we measure an age. So it's almost like, yes, your three-year-old self was experiencing it and you remember it as who you are now in your body, but it's almost like your soul experience remembers it. Does that make sense in a way? Yeah. And I, I, I absolutely, and you were terrific with the description. I know some of the stuff is esoteric and yeah. difficult, but it's also our biggest superpowers that we have for people to transform their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, words are what we have here. On the other side, there's just telepathy. Right. 
you know, there's no like politician or hiding or anything like that. What you see is what you get there. Right. You know, it's, I guess it, it's, it's transparency it's, it's with you forever, even though you were three and you're not three now, but it's like that experience. Yeah. It's just, it's a, I don't know. It's within you, you and your soul. The soul is eternal and infinite and, you know, memories that happen from this lifetime could take it or leave it, but we can never truly forget who we are. And I do believe that's what allows people to come listen to this kind of stuff because, you know, either though they might want to have a near-death experience, I think in the way they're coming to it because a part of them remembers what you're talking about. Mm. There's amnesia there, you know, and so they're, the amnesia is decreasing. So they remember, a part of them remembers mm. a time when they were flying freely and they mm. were, you know, uh, connected to this infinite source and infinite sure. love. It's not foreign. And I think that's what gravitates people. If it was so far and no one would listen to us, that's true. but on many different levels, there's a familiarity with the subject. Yeah. You know? And if we're, I've heard this from many different spiritual teachers and teachings. If you resonate with something, pay attention to that. Cause that could often be a former experience or something that you need to, you know, remember in this life. Sure. Um, Definitely. And I also think why people listen and why this is interesting is because it, going back to death, it does bring forth comfort to hear people's stories like yours, where it was a good experience. You felt comforted and, you know, an abundance of, you know, you always hear abundance of like light, light and love, you know, when you're out of your body, that's sure reassuring for those of us who haven't experienced that yet. Right. I think what's important is to process this with the nonlinear consciousness, because mm. when we're coming from a place of linear consciousness, it's sometimes a little bit hard because mm. this stuff is antithetical and opposite to that. We're used to beginnings, middles yeah. and endings. Yeah. You know, there all is well, was well, will be well. Right. And there's timelessness yep. that you're talking about, which is so different than our it's reality, so which is time based. Because our so, world is so just like measured with time and dates and age and right. we don't really understand truly like it's eternal. It's hard to wrap our, you know, human brains around. Right. That. <laughs> and I, I think I could speak to this for some people that I hear of when they're on hallucinogenics mm -hmm. and I not promoting that or whatever, but they do mm -hmm. experience this timelessness yeah. in a way. And I don't necessarily believe the hallucinogenic does it. I think it just allows barriers to mm -hmm. that natural state to come forward. It's not like the hallucinogenic sure. opened up something that wasn't there. You know, I think we're just taking away parts that divide life and fragment sure. it, you know, to the, you know, untethered, unfragmented sold. You right. Know? Yeah. And I'm, I have heard that too. There's a lot of people that have had experiences on different natural or not natural drugs or even, you know, have a glass or two of wine. Again, not promoting it, but from experience, <laughs> a, a nice right. gentle buzz, but you're more in the moment and you're not right. worried about time, right? And that's right. interesting. And so I think that's some of our happiest moments. If you think back, I always feel like it's whenever I was really in the moment. And that's all yeah. really what it is, right? It is now. It is, you know, so... Yeah. Well, that's that saying, be still and know when we're in the moment mm. and we're able to really open ourselves up. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's so pivotal, but back to the three-year-old thing. Cause I, I know, you know, that is, um, I think in a way when you're talking, if people, you know, aren't, you kind of challenging their framework, you know, you're not really adding, you know, mm. so much. So I think this near death experience I just see myself as a vessel of this. Um, you know, it's not mine. I think it's it's just a vessel of experiences for people to learn from. Uh, but in a way, at least it taught me privately and on a personal level, and many people listen to me that, 
you know, we're having this human experience. This is not a human totality. This is not a totality of who we are. So at any age that we have gender lifetime, it's an experience, but beyond that is a timeless soul experiencing these lifetimes through these different filters, you know, throughout lifetime in and lifetime out. And so, you know, for myself, I was just a three-year-old chronologically, but behind that was an eternal soul. Mm-hmm. You know, I had many different lifetimes and a timeless soul, mm-hmm. you know. So, yes, in one perspective, I was connected to this, but it wasn't to totality. It's as if you're looking at one page of a book and saying that's the whole book. Right. There's an entire encyclopedia beyond that page, mm-hmm. you know. And then there's a radio in that encyclopedia, too. So, Incredible. <laughs> the observer. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, gosh, you could talk all about that in just one episode, right? Just. Right past lives. And if you believe in that, you know, I do, but, um, how that can play a role or even just like our physical bodies, how we may hold things in with diseases or chronic, you know, whatever struggles, uh, with anxiety or like, um, mental illness that could be brought over from another life, right? There's so much, um, there it's really interesting. So although we are separate soul body, there is still an integration. So that's, Oh, yeah, the cellular memories, mm-hmm. yeah. That's yeah. really interesting. Wow. Well, I would love if you don't mind, too, I'd like to touch on the angels. So, I mean, like when you were younger, you had experience seeing angels or you were able to like uh, communicate with your spirit guides and can you still communicate? Yes, but I mean, as a kid, I, I'm not going to lie, that was a lot more potent, mm. and particularly my NDE, you, okay. know, you know, we're still, you know, at times when I'm able to get quiet, those do come in very strongly or my Reiki sessions. But as a kid, you know, I was like, you know, a young Edgar Casey. You know, I would see these things regularly, uh, but the suffocation element, you know, didn't stop, you know, allegorically from my near, near death experience. It just kind of felt like the world outside of me was all of a sudden foreign and I couldn't breathe in the same air that people were breathing. And I just felt very foreign. And I just had, you know, experiences that, you know, I was having a lot of interdimensional communication, people around me weren't seeing that. So it was just very isolated. So I think to survive, I just had to kind of like a beach ball, put this a little bit down to kind of keep up with the world Mm -hmm. that was more interested in regurgitation versus imagination and school systems. But I think to thrive, I needed to own it and integrate Mm -hmm. it. And so it was always there subliminally, you know, in my life. But it wasn't like I was walking around saying this is psychic energy, this is past lives. If anything, it was more of like an obtrusion to the life that I was trying to live. And mm. it was kind of like annoying where I would constantly have these premonitions that would come true. And I'm like, can I just live? Like, mm. leave me alone. So I kind of like related to that movie with Matt Damon and the hereafter. Where I was just kind of wanting to just, you know, live the human part. Uh, but then eventually, no matter what, you know, that needed to come up, you, you know, that it was a part of myself that I could not ignore. Sure. You know? And was it in a form of like voices of just knowing, did you see things, you know, like how did it come through for you? You know, it was voices and it was seeing, you know, a lot too. So um, a lot of that, but I think people think of psychic phenomena as just, you know, knowing about things on a subjective basis for person. But for me, it was deeper than that. It was more conversations on a very deep, you know, level about, you know, the nature of life, reality. And Mm -hmm. so as a young kid, I was having these conversations with spirit, you know, from a macro basis. And I just remembered one day I was very young and I remembered that I was 
feeling myself existing in my gut, like my energy was in my gut Mm. and spirit told me to stay there. Mm. And then later in life, I kind of saw that I was going into my brain and I just remembered these inklings of the danger of that. I kind of brushed that to the side, but then years later I studied, you know, a lot of different energetic principles and they highlight the value of staying in the gut and how when Mm. we're in the gut, we have the fire in the belly, but if we're in the head, we become too hot-headed. You know, so a lot of people operate from just the neck up, not really balancing their elements. Mm-hmm. And so as a young kid, I was privy to a lot of this channeled information. But sometimes I would ignore it. Sometimes I wouldn't. That's just my stubborn Taurian in me. But uh, there's a lot of validation for a lot of the stuff that I heard from a micro and macro kind of perspective. Sure. That could be kind of like almost the chakras, right? Like we, if you're like, you know, up here, and then you're ignoring the lower half or something. Right. Yeah. It's all about balance. <laughs> um, it's, it's huge. And um, just find when we're in flow, you know, it's, it's so much easier. You mm-hmm. know, it's like we take those weights off of our car and we could just kind of go with it. We don't have all these extra additives that get in our way. Mm-hmm. Before we move on from like the angels and and some of the stuff that came through, are there any just, I know I don't want to give like your whole book away if you talk about this, but just for people listening, um, are there any little like takeaways, bigger takeaways that you did learn that you'd like to share just that might bring comfort? It could be about anything. It doesn't just have to be about death, but just like the stuff that we just this like unknown, like we don't know about in in this human form. Like what are some Mm -hmm. takeaways, I guess, that you could share? So much. In fact, I'm about finishing up my second book Mm. called The Wisdom of Jacob's Ladder, Mm. which is specifically on that exact subject matter, the different lessons and the different rungs of the ladder from here to heaven. And I don't think it's by chance in my experience happened on a ladder. My name is Jacob and I had this. So there's a lot in the name, Uh, but there's so many different lessons. I think the first thing is people forget about their superpowers. They forget who they are. They forget that there's an infinite love inside of them and all around them that sometimes they forget. And I think this lifetime, kind of like the Lion King in a way, is about remembering who you are, if you're familiar with that, you know, and just remembering not only who you are, but what's around you. Um, The majority of clients that I see in my offices, you know, in practices, uh, they have a lot of self-esteem issues. Because I think they their world has created their minds mm-hmm. and not the opposite, not their minds creating their world. And so I think this practice is really about taking away all of this false sense of limited identity to really allowing yourself to explore and come back to your true essence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think a lot of this is rooted in self-esteem. And someone once said to me, you know, when you understand self-esteem, you know, in issues of self-esteem doesn't really exist in a way because the self isn't what we think of it. And once we're able to implement this, we recognize that doubting you isn't just doubting you. It's doubting all the people here and the beyond here that, you know, believe in you and also the infinite creator that created you. So technically you're not just doubting you, you're doubting an incredible infinite intelligence that created you. And so, you, you know, I think really it's embracing who we are and what we are in that divine essence that we were birthed from mm-hmm. created from. Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, gosh, I have so many ways to take this and questions. It's just, this is why I love doing this. There's just so much to, to discuss and think about and become, you know, more aware of. And I mean, I think that's what it all comes mm-hmm. down to, right? Just like consciousness, like just being conscious mm-hmm. and to the, uh, the idea of different 
ways of thinking, right? We're just so trained and it's not in a bad way. You know, I think there is some brainwashing here on earth, but not even in a negative way. It's just, that's also partly how we function here as humans, right? Like we do have to have time. Like if someone's going to come see you for an appointment, like you have to have a time, we're gonna have a podcast. Like this is how we function. That's fine. But a lot of the time we're just so focused on our human life that we don't think outside the box. Right. And I think really it's about embracing those two identities is not, you know, two sides of the coin, but the coin, you know, the same thing, the human part, the spiritual part, and that radical acceptance of that. I think if we were meant to just talk spirit all day, we would be there. We're meant to do the human. We're here for a reason. Uh, Yeah. And I think there's um, a monopolization and association of what's spiritual Mm -hmm. and often kind of, we associate that with a lot of this stuff, but I think the life that we live and our experiences here and our relationships and the fun and joy and light that we have here is the most spiritual thing that we could do with, you know, here, Mm -hmm. you know, that's incredibly spiritual and valuable, right? you know, life itself, you know, we forget that. Yeah. And I always think one I've like heard about this, read about it, heard, you know, from other spiritual people and teachers and, um, but I also just, it's like a knowing, like we were talking about before, I do feel like there are like heaven is here in a way like divine is right. here, right? Like look at nature, look at love, like the moments of joy. We, we have some of that here physically with us and access to it, but then there's also challenges and the human, you know, form. And it's this interesting experience where I believe we chose to come to go through it. But again, as a human, I can't help but just ask and, you know, what's your take on this? But it's like, why couldn't it just be, I know, I know for our soul's growth, it wouldn't grow if we didn't have challenges, but you know, part of me selfishly is like, why can't we just be in this like joyous, wonderful place all the time? Why do we have to come and like suffer or go through things and, and deal with an ego? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, that's, that's a very layered, significant area. And I, and I, I think, um, when we're able to do this a lot more, we're able to live from the inside out versus the outside in. And so we're able to look at the world through this God lens, which looks up at life and it sees through life, kind of like a model looks at a screen and sees through it. And we're able to see this divine essence in all things. And sometimes it's harder than others, but it's about generating the faith and the knowing past the good and the bad. And that's embodied of who we are. We come from an unconditional love and so I think part of this is kind of learning how to have that unconditional loving approach to all things. And like we said, to be still and know, you know, that no matter what, this is an experience. It's not a totality. Right. And so I think there's a lot of safety with that ideology, but also there's a lot of growth when we are hurting or when others are hurting from learning how to have unconditional love towards that point and being able to be where our feet are at and not bypass it that we see in so much in this kind of field, mm-hmm. you know, we're just a lot of bypassing, ignoring, which is, which is irresponsible, yeah. you know, to where we are at. So mm-hmm. I think it's very important from the ground up to meet our essence and to be able to generate wisdom, empathy, compassion to that place. Right. And it's fascinating because I do believe that, you know, we are all, most of us are, we all are, you know, humans, even people that don't do nice things. Um, we come from a place of love. We are loving beings, but there are egos and other things that, you know, happen. And so, you know, it's just hard when, you know, you see all these horrible things happening. It is obviously clearly hard and harder for certain people 
to access that unconditional love. It's possible, mm-hmm. of course. I'm not diminishing the good things, but you know, we live in this world where the reality is there are a lot of crazy things happening. And so mm-hmm. what an experience. And gosh, all you could take lifetimes for certain people to learn that, right? Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Yeah. I, I think it's um, kind of like a Buddhist perspective, but you know, it's not a matter of changing the ways, but kind of learning how to surf. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I think the more skillful we are, the more that we're able to pivot. But also the 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 fact of acknowledging our feelings, acknowledging that raw human part, mm-hmm. acknowledging the emotional part, I think is very you know very valuable. Mm-hmm. And I think we work through that by going there sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I know I went to one of the lowest points of the human experience and facing death head on and suffocation head on. And But beyond that, I was able to see, you know, that that's an experience, but not a totality. Beyond that is, you know, infinite life, infinite awareness. And I think there's a gift of the dark night in the soul, which leads a lot of people to transform. And it's very hard to find influencers in our society who haven't, had that and been able to transform, which trans just means change and form means shape. And we're able to change our worldview, our consciousness mm-hmm. through these times. Uh, but I also think um, this lifetime is a, is a lot of it is learning how to be a guide. Mm-hmm. You know, for some of us, we go through experiences in this life and we're very motivated when people are a couple of highways and exits down and going through those same experiences to be there with them. And so I think we could do this not only this lifetime, but also other, you know, on the other side, we could understand that because we've been there and we grew from that. And when we do cross over, we'll be able to be even more powerful guides having gone through those progressions, you know. Yeah, that's, yeah. And I've also, I've heard this, I don't know if you've heard this or believe in this, but I've heard that people in other realms or souls in other realms or even other planets, I've had some crazy guests with Mm. all kinds of stuff, ETs and stuff, but um, there are places um, where it may be, cons- you know, more of like a heaven-like love, blissful state, but they mm. don't have the same um, experiences that we have here, feelings and pain. And so, although that sounds lovely, like I was talking about before, like, why can't this just be this la-la wonderful place all the mm. time? But um, in a way, it is such a gift to have the range of emotions and experiences here, like you said, for the growth and and to help others and, and to truly like, even though you feel separate from the unconditional love of source, you know, being tested and still being able to like find that through everything, if that makes sense. So in a way, it really is such a gift to be here and kind of ride the waves that you're talking about. Yeah. And I think once we understand that we're eternal beings, that the lifetime that we live could influence our eternity, mm-hmm. you know, that's a, that's a vantage point that could help resilience. Right. You know, and I think when we're going through this stuff in therapy, we talk about short term, long term. Mm-hmm. You know, short term is very difficult, but long term, when we're handling it right way, is usually a beautiful thing when handled properly. So I think it's really important to have that in the background. That a lot of this is not so much about the race, but this this marathon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and the progress, the evolution that we can have uh, throughout different carnations. But also, I think it's a matter of learning which mind is governing us? Is it the mind of, you know, pain, suffering, victimization, or the growth orientation perspective? You know, the growth oriented mind seeks experiences to evolve and grow from and embraces whatever it is, the good and the bad, and it's able to generate the hope and the faith past Mm -hmm. those experiences, you know, and sees what could I do through this experience? And it takes ownership. And that's, 
a very evolved outlook and that's hard to ingrain moment to moment but i think that should be an important ideology for people and when you're able to do that you're able to have a quicker pivot when you're getting off kiltered and you're able to be a lot more aware that's true yeah and that takes practice i think and you know um Luckily, there are a lot of people like you and, and healers and, and books like Eckhart Tolle has been very significant in my spiritual journey, sure. you know, learning to be more conscious. And, and the more that you do practice things like that, it, it can become easier at times. Um, yeah. 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 Do you, So um, when you are seeing your clients, do you, um, you said you, you do therapy. Mm-hmm. Are you doing a lot of spiritual therapy? Do you intertwine a lot of this type of stuff with your clients? Yeah, for some of my clients, we have like the big questions, big answers things when people are getting stuff Mm. and we explore it together, you know, and we just try to find a different vantage point. Mm. Um, I love the book by Wayne Dyer. There's a spiritual solution to every problem. Mm. I do believe, you know, the question and the answer are the same kind kind of thing. You know, and I do believe within questions, there's answers within those um, you know, there's solutions. It might not happen today, tomorrow. Uh, but if we're like so stuck on things and stuff like that, it's very hard for us to kind of open ourselves to channeled answers. Because I do believe the answers doesn't come from us, but comes through us. Mm-hmm. And it's a matter of when we let go, our awareness does grow. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, uh, I like the idea of bringing mindfulness and consciousness into Therapy, I, I think it, right. to me, I mean, just that's, I love clearly what I do. I love spirituality and um, I just, all the woo-woo stuff, you know, I, I love um, the idea of intertwining those because I believe mm-hmm. they're very, it's very relevant and helpful for me personally, maybe not everybody. Yeah, it but can I think, be. I think it could be really great for some people. But it's such a diametric opposite position that our society mm-hmm which is taught that strength is a matter of stoicism, holding things in, holding on and letting go is kind of seen as Mm -hmm. passive or submissive, but it couldn't be more uh, in the spirit realm. It's, it's totally different where letting go is where we get our power. Mm -hmm. I think force is a matter of control, but our power is through letting go. That's when we really are are, are at our most strong and stuff like that. And, you know, sometimes spirituality mindset can also um, it doesn't always mesh with the, the clinical, you know what uh, I mean? The scientific way of measuring mental health. But I think more and more, it, it, you know, it's becoming more um, embraced, you know, things like Eckhart Tolle, I think. I mean, that's just one example. There's tons of resources. 100%. I've, I mean, in my past couple of years as a therapist already, I see such a transformation. Mm-hmm. We call it like the third wave, you know, in therapy. But a lot of mindfulness is almost used you know instead of cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectical behavioral therapy so it's almost kind of like a term that us as therapists use as a primary practice and as a therapist i've you know in my practice i've run probably three mindfulness groups a week Mm. you know um you know throughout the years and i found that it's given clients so much power it's it's hard to kind of face herself face our life but and particularly with a lot of clients that I use, there's a lot of cumulative disadvantage and reasons to be unhappy or given, you know, diagnosis, prognosis. This allows people to really fall in love with themselves and looking at life through a different angle. Mm-hmm. And it's very empowering. Mm-hmm. So what are some tips that you could give to people that are um, 
wanting to become more mindful in their lives? Mm. What are some things we could yeah. do? Yeah. Well, what I love about mindfulness is it's like you could practice it, yes, in a yoga room, but you could practice it when doing the dishes. And if you're not doing it when you're doing the dishes, you're not really practicing it, mm. you know, because I think mindfulness is a practice that we could use in our everyday life. But I think really it's, I think once people are able to understand who they are, the practice becomes deepened. Know that in a sense that we're not the thinker, we're not our emotions. You know, we're experiencing these things, but we we are a sacred eternal observer. So I think in our world, when we see ourselves as a physical, you know, body, we want more physical things. Uh, but when we see ourselves as, you know, beyond that, the soul, we want more soulful things. We're able to see more soulful things. And I call that the God lens that's able mm. to see life, you know, through its pure essence. And it's mm. able to see in a single seed, a tree behind it. And it's able to mm. see this beautiful potential, you know, behind what meets the eye. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I actually, I can't remember who I was speaking to about this. One of my guests and I've experienced it over the last year or two for the first couple of times. I, well, for, I, I started observing myself. I don't know if that makes sense, but I became conscious to what I was doing. And I was like noticing myself sitting on my deck with my child. Like it wasn't like I was out of my body looking at myself, but I was aware, I guess that's something interesting. And I think those, that's like, is that, a, would you consider that kind of like a layer of consciousness or an awareness? Oh, 100%. And like the more we practice this, the more it kind of, you know, is rooted deeper. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, they practice mindfulness, but they are mindful of a lot of judgment and mindful, mm -hmm. a lot of anger and stuff like that. So the more that we're able to practice this, it could be rooted in compassion, empathy, wisdom. You know, that's when we're really getting into a deeper gear, but we're working through, you know, a lot of that human condition too, and embracing that part, you mm -hmm. know, as well. But um, yeah, it's a lot of, times people talk about death, but I think within this life, the closest thing to me, you know, is death, you know, when we're not living while we're living, mm. you know, and, uh, you know, that to me is a death when we're not present sure. in our lives. And I know Jack, Dr. John Kabat-Zinn, like the real um, pioneer of mindfulness in the United States, you know, here talks about mindfulness as if our life depends on it. Mm. And, you know, really that's a heavy, intense statement, but when you think about it, it does. When we are living, if we're not present, how are we really living? Right. You know? <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's true. And I think, yeah, we're so used to observing other people, other things, but it is an inter interesting perspective when you actually become aware of your own self observing the moment. And then when you're conscious that you're observing, you know what I mean? There's like different layers of the consciousness. It's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It just gets us to like these different angles about ourselves that we could, I see what you're like observing the observer in a way. Like you're aware like, that you're observing, yeah. but I think yeah. I've heard yeah. from somebody there's like, not to like, again, put like a definition on it, but that is a form of consciousness. And then not only observing yourself, but if you're aware that you're observing yourself, it's another yeah. layer of, of consciousness, just right. very fascinating. <laughs> It's something when you like think about it too much, it's like heavy, that's, that's heavy stuff. But it yeah. almost feels kind of like you said, like this, like God yeah. lens or like, yeah. it's just, it's different than how you would normally going through this like tunnel vision of life. Right. Mm. So what I found to be interesting, and that was, I uh, thank you for sharing that experience is 
for us, we're our own biggest critic and we go through things and we're like, oh, it's nothing. And I know I lived almost a whole life like that with my near-death experience, but when we see that we're interconnected and we see that we're a soul, we recognize that we have the responsibility, you know, to others, that we go through things, not just for ourselves, but if we're interconnected, we want to have a ripple effect. And so I think that's what I've tried to do within a lot of my clients, take ownership of these experiences and to try to integrate it with others because what you're going through could be a ripple effect that could literally save someone's life or change a life. And, but we're holding on to it. It's collecting dust and what, you know, that's not the purpose of it. It's not mm-hmm. just here for you to get a high on. I mean, to me, that's like a drug where like, you're like a yo-yo, you go high and you come down. But I think to find meaning and purpose behind these experiences is a meaning and purpose behind it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And not to like shift the conversation too much into like crazy topic of, you know, like COVID or something. But I, I think it's a good tangible recent event to kind of explain that. Like that just shows how connected we all are. Mm-hmm. Literally, it was is an actual virus where you can give it to somebody else. And we're all affected by that, right? But it's almost like that kind of stuff that we go through as humans, it really does make you see how connected we all are. And, and the right. suffering and pain of somebody else, how that can affect all of us and our whole society can shut things down. I mean, my goodness, the supply chain, like it shows how connected we truly are. And I think sometimes in the society we feel separate and like you know, oh, it would be so hard to take down this wonderful, you know, this amazing country and we, our supply chain. And as we can see, it's actually very fragile Mm -hmm. and so interlaced and interconnected. And that's why it's so important for us to care for others, love ourselves, love our neighbor, because we are very inner interlaced. Mm -hmm. And it's really a big part of this experience being on the earth, right? With other souls. Mm -hmm. Um, That interconnectedness is so vital on our foundation. If we're taking the high road with that, wow. Mm -hmm. You're taking the low road with that. You know, that's, you know, we want to be in the good side of history. But with COVID combined with the internet age technology, it's amazing how oneness is there. And it's not always felt Mm because we're so used to seeing, you know, and and being shown this. But, and it also reminds us that, uh, someone else's pain is, is, is a part of ours. It's not just othered. Exactly. You know, it's, it's, it's all connected. Um, but I think in a way the world had a near death experience, you know, That's in a, a way, interesting. Uh, yeah. you know, because part of the impetus behind writing life after breath was so many parallels with what I had in my own small micro experience when I was seeing in the world, I think that expedited getting the book out because I just saw in the way this upper respiratory thing and people feeling metaphorically or literally impacted with respiratory, you know, issues. Mm -hmm. I think my hope is life after breath, like infuse people to have another breath. It's really tap into another breath, but also, you know, when that rug of life is being pulled, what could we do? And that's really surrendering to our true nature, Mm -hmm. surrendering to wisdom, surrendering to something greater than our own pain. And I think pain and suffering could be a doorway mm-hmm. to metamorphosis. Definitely. And I've mentioned this a couple of times already on this podcast for dedicated listeners. You'll, this will be a repeat, but if you're new and you haven't heard this, I just think it's fascinating. I was chatting with a gal named Tandy who was on an episode a while ago, and she was mentioning how um, our lungs are kind of like our grief. We hold grief in our lungs. I've heard and that. I thought yeah, that was really yeah. interesting about COVID. Like, what an interesting concept if this was like a manifested, you know, collectively grief. But then that's like our, besides our heart, really your life center 
as your book, you know, life after breath, breathing and a viral, you know, infection in our lungs and how that affected people. Obviously it's just, it's interesting when you really look deeper into this is more than just COVID. This is, I, I look at it in like a spiritual learning. There's so much to learn from it. The interconnectedness, right. there's so many layers to it. And if you look deeper, you can kind of, I don't want to say understand, but there are some lessons that, wow, I think a lot of us have learned through all this. Yeah, I think within time, because I know you mentioned like the grieving process. I always say it's like a similar storm, but everyone's in a unique boat, you know, impacted differently. But I think going through the human part and going through, you know, that could open up people up to potentially allow belief in a knowing to work with, you know, grief, you know. And each person literally, if you got COVID or didn't get COVID and your experience of observing it had different experiences, right? Right. The virus affected people differently. It affects people's lungs differently. So we are, are, we all are having our own experiences, but yet we are still connected and sharing the experience as well. Absolutely. And yeah, I hope on the other side of this, people could take a step back and say, wow, you know, I've, I've really evolved and changed and you know, it wasn't through this, I would have been coasting. I mean, if you're just sunbathing, you know, in Florida, whatever, it's nice, but you're not going to like roll your sleeves up and sure. get to work on an inner level. So, yeah. you know, yeah. in a way, and I think having this challenge as a survival and thrival kind of perspective, we needed to reframe how we looked at life itself and, and change. Yeah, I agree. You know? And I think a lot of us, I speak for myself, at least I definitely forced me to look at things differently. And there were some discomforts just with, life kind of stopping in a lot of areas and, but then a lot of really good silver linings too. Like, I mean, I started my podcast during COVID. I wouldn't have done that before. A lot of people I know released books or started things. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. really cool things that happened during that time because we were given the chance and more time and reflection, right? So there's a lot of good that came out of it as well. So it's a fascinating time to be here for sure. Yeah, it's it's interesting time to be alive. Oh but my gosh. I, in a way, I'm grateful because I think this allowed people to look at that part of themselves that they might have ignored, yeah. you know. It forced and, us to. Yeah. yeah, much like it happened to me in my NDE, you know, mm-hmm. it just reminded us that we have this infinite intelligence that's around us at all times. And this life is not just a human experience. Yeah. It's here as we're spiritual beings having this. And sometimes we, it sounds simpler when you hear that, when you experience that, that directly, that, you know, this is an experience and it's very much guided and, you know, there's a wisdom with that. And if you could surrender to that and trust that, you know, it it could be easier to be within grace and ease in your life, no matter what you're thrown, because you trust in this awareness over any pain that you're going through. And you understand what's inside of you and all around you is infinitely greater than the challenges that meet you. That's true. And that's, you know, I, I've, I'm, I'm a living proof of that in many ways. Mm-hmm. Oh, I yeah, think that, we all are. That was nicely said. And I oftentimes ask my guests, like, what is your perception of what's going on? I feel like we kind of talked about that and touched on that. But, you know, just with COVID or, um, you know, like the po- political, not to get into those things, but just like sure. the energy itself on earth feels there's a lot more of this going on, it feels, than, you know, maybe in the past. There's always been good and bad things and crazy things happening, but there's been a lot of shaking up of things more than ever with technology, digital currency, COVID, healthcare, 
you know, p- political stuff. And I think it's, for me, it seems so obvious. Wow. There's just a huge energy shift and a lot of people are, are struggling. It's not bad or good to where you are in your path, like struggling to like move within that change and, and change the way we're doing things. And there's a lot of people that are like embracing it and changing the way they think. And so I guess like, what is your perception? I know that's kind of a big like thing to throw at you before we kind of wrap up, but just like, I guess it helps to hear other people's perspective spiritually. Like what is your perception of what is going on energetically right now? Just there's so much going on. It's like hard to kind of deal with it as a human. Mm. But like, do you think that these are like old paradigms that are kind of like crumbling and things have to come to the surface for us to be able to evolve? Or like, what do you think? I can't say for certain, you know, exactly pinpoint, but I just know when something so profound happens to us in our personal life or the world, it's not random. There's usually, sure. you know, something to that when we're experiencing such a deep level. Uh, but, but I think it's, um, there's opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I think everything is based off of perception. I think that's our reality. And I think almost kind of like, you could squeeze an orange out, but what are you left with after this experience? And that is really what I look at as the ultimate experience. What's the byproduct of this? What does this lead to? Because, you know, I know we can't die. We Pain is something that we experience, but it's not the totality. And I think if more people had a broader base perspective and that foundation was there, they would be able to see past through this and to try to have that same mindset to really focus on byproducts, you know, versus, mm-hmm. you know, this is something that we walked into that's not personally, but what we make of it can be. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so I, I think really it's subjective person to person in their own developmental basis. But in a way, it's it's a mirror or reflection of foundation. And, you know, what our foundation, because there's a lot within belief. I know Bruce Lipton is very big on this in biology and belief, but our beliefs are so powerful within the lives that we live and the foundation that we live. And so as we evolve our nature of reality, nature of life, we recognize that this life is very much an inside out game, mm-hmm. not an outside in. And so we have the ability to generate a current in life, not to be a leaf in water. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of people, they're trying to get power back. I think within their lives to some degree, they feel powerless. So there's a lot of opposition. Mm-hmm. I think an evolved form of opposition is advocacy. You know, that's practical, but opposition is like, you know, and so I think an evolved way to look at this is to look at this from an opportunity vantage point, but also through an understanding that, uh, you know, our, our change is based off of adaptability. We evolve from being adaptable. I think that's the greatest skill that we could have. And it's not submissive. That's taking the high road. That's taking wisdom mm-hmm. within our experiences. Animals are a lot smarter than human beings in some ways. And, you know, when an animal's terrain is threatened, they don't just sit there. They go to greener pastures. Mm-hmm. They go with the flow. And I think for people, we have to trust in this inner wisdom and inner flow to be the GPS of our life and not so much resist and fight and, you know, sit on, um, a firing hose that's you know trying to fire this thing out but to just you know use flexibility and to take the growth oriented and high road mind and if we could do that we'll have a different result you know <laughs> ah, so nicely said how are you yeah. so so calm and i i mean i can see your your inner your work and your um the beauty of your spiritual teaching there because 
I mean, I'm trying to give you a compliment. You seem like it makes no. it seem so easy. And I say that in a nice way because it's just it's so I, hard, like, being here. And, you know, I try to do that, too. Like, I really try to see both sides. Like, whatever the topic is, you know, get this, put this in your body. Don't put this in your body. I have this right. Do this. And there's, always, like you said, there's so much opposition. And I can see kind of the argument on both sides, the validity. I, I can see the pros. I can see the cons. But I try to just stay more in the middle. And I'm just like... Ah, like, you know, it can be stressful, but at the same time, like you said, or it can seem passive, but I'm really just like looking at this, like, okay, what's the learning up, you know, opportunity here. Right. And I don't want to get stuck in, in the fight. I'm more just trying to like survive and, and, you know, everyone's on their own journey and respecting what people choices that they're making. But, you know, in this world, it's so hard sometimes to not get into that divide or the fight. And so I guess the way you were explaining it, it seemed, it's just so, you know, profound the way you say that. I, I think people could really benefit effort from maybe looking at it again from a different mindset right mm-hmm. yeah and i i know I, when i was a young kid at probably 10 or 11 years old you could talk to my family they'll have a different impression of me i mean i'm not you know I'm, I, I was a difficult child mm-hmm. but i was put into psychotherapy at a very young age and i was very fortunate to have a therapist that really influenced my life he was like this walking zen temple mm-hmm. and when i was going through something at 10 or 11 years old he would ask me what's the high road? What's the way to take this? Mm. And I think we could apply that psychotherapeutic mindset in any aspect of our life that gives us power. Mm. You know, you know, what's the skillful approach? And so it's no matter what you're facing, you always have the ability to do that. And that's historically been proven to help people no matter what they're going through. And, you know, being from the Jewish, you know, faith and having family members, you know, in the Holocaust, I could attest to one individual who's attendant of mindfulness, um, Victor Frankl, and he would speak a lot about this, where he was in a prison camp and he was, he could have said that he was a prisoner, but yet he felt the most freedom. Mm. Why? You know, because he recognized that freedom isn't an outer thing. It's an inner reality. It's an inner experience. Mm. And I think if we could have that, well, we're not going to, you know, be enslaved by outer reality. We're going to recognize that that's an experience for us to really show who we are and to have that inside outside foundation role in govern our life. I, so. It's very, that's a very Buddhist, like, <laughs> I, I love it. I, I, I agree. I think it's, it's beautiful. The, the but yeah, it helps to ne- ne- um, negotiate the chessboard. You know, we create just, a lot of our own suffering, right? So I think being able to see that it's an opportunity sometimes and not a, a bad suffering thing. It could actually be a very beautiful growth moment right. in your, you know what i mean but again that takes practice <laughs> so takes takes practice i mean if we were to apply all of this stuff we wouldn't need to be here you know we would yeah. be over there and so i think really when we're able to apply this stuff it becomes ingrained in our identity and mm-hmm. in our essence that's true and then it's right when you feel philosophy. like you got it and you do yeah. you, you're like yeah i, I practiced that in that event and then something else comes along and you kind of like fall back for a second and Ah, and then, oh yeah, I got to come, you know, it's just, it's a continual right. journey. So yeah, it's rewiring our essence and rewiring our brain, mm-hmm. you know, this stuff. So it's work. Yeah. yeah, totally. Wow. Wow. Well, this was such an amazing conversation. Um, thank you so much. And thank you for all the work that you're doing to help people heal. And, um, you know, your book sounds amazing. I'm going to definitely have to check that out. And it sounds like you've got another really cool one coming out soon. Um, yes. Yes. Where can people find your books and find more information out about you? Yeah. So life after breath is, um, 
you know, right? This book, if you could see it, yeah. it's available on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I could send signed copies for a requester, mm-hmm. people who request. And so Amazon, it is available. And my website as well, you could check out the book. It's jacoblcooper.com. That's jacoblcooper.com for you know, any of your questions. So, yeah. but again, Lauren, thank you for all your work. You really oh, are impacting so many you. lives and I'm so glad this pain has really allowed you to come into your purpose. Yeah. And thank you so much. That's amazing. Yeah. It's been a huge blessing. I feel very lucky because I get to talk to cool people like you and then share cool stuff. So I, I feel very grateful for the opportunity. Yeah. Um, we will, uh, definitely put your website in the description notes and, um, uh, do you, do you want to care? Do you want to share your Instagram handle by any chance? Yeah, I'm on Instagram as well as a Facebook page. It's Jacob Cooper LCSW. That's Jacob Cooper LCSW. And there I try to give back oxygen. Oxygen was taken from me, my near-death experience, but I use inspiration as the oxygen of our times and each day. And I know, Lauren, I I see you time to time there. There's, you know, messages that I have that I feel hopefully could maybe enrich someone's day, you know, daily messages. So do check that out. Thank you. Very nice. Thanks again for your time today. (laughs) A true honor. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show and uh, take care. Be well. You can find me on Instagram at Real Lauren Live. Take care.